0: My goodness me! Here it is, predictable, well choreographed, perfectly
1: rehearsed.
2: Welcome to a special episode of Grassroots, the podcast for the women's game from the Roots Up. In this episode, we had the pleasure of speaking to England and Gloucester Hartbury star Zoe Oldcroft. Halbro ambassador Zoe has had an incredible year, unbeaten in a truncated Six Nations, an unbeaten autumn series including two amazing wins against the world champions the Black Ferns and to cap it all off, she was voted IRB Women's International Player of the Year. In this fascinating interview, we discuss high performance sports, staying motivated, handling nerves and finding your super strength. We then compare it to Shez Says and the podcast team discuss their own experiences of dreaming big and trying to mix it with the best in the game.
3: 22 months out with a triple
2: knee operation she runs in tries for fun and i'm He has got a remarkable strike rate and i'm jodie the forward who can't stop scoring And Murray.
4: the cannonball coming through
2: and i'm matt this is grassroots This episode is a very special episode because thanks to our recent partnership with Halbro, we've been able to secure an interview with Zoe Allcroft. Now, Zoe Allcroft is an international player, but also has just been voted the International Player of the Year. So it's a massive achievement for us to get on the show. And I'm sure you'll appreciate when you listen to the interview how brilliant it was to have her talking to us, but also how generous she was with her time, how down to earth she was as a person, and also how insightful it was listening to her talk about her training and her life in rugby so it's really exciting for you guys to be able to listen to this and being involved in it was just a brilliant experience for everyone involved so massive thanks to Zoe and also to Halbro for allowing us to set it up and get it done so it's really interesting for us talking to somebody that's been in an international setup so I think each of us on the podcast at some point have been able to try our hand in various sports at a higher level. And it's a very different experience.
0: I've played Cheshire and Staffordshire, which is quite good in a way because you get to compare different county setups. So when I was younger, I played North West England and it was really, really professional. All the stash, we'd get coaches to the games, which is probably like a given to most rugby teams. But in the women's game, you don't always get a bush, you don't always get kit. There's quite a few things that have taken time to get there with. So when I was 18, got selected for North West England, played in that setup. We had a tournament where we went to rugby for the day. All the counties around England were there. And it was just really, really alarming of how different it was to the grassroots game so we had medics physios just all the things that are given in the premiership today that you didn't really experience so that was quite crazy because well how old am I 30 so 12 years ago that would have been and if you think how much the women's games changed in that 12 years to have had all that in place at that time is quite amazing and then just comparing like Staffordshire and Cheshire setups I've always found that Cheshire has been good, but there would have been improvements. And you only ever played three or four different counties each season. So it would never be like you played all the counties around England. And I think Lou and Jodie would be able to back me up on this. It would be a selection of counties that year that you would play. And when I played Staffordshire, You got to play completely different counties and there was definitely a difference. There's less women playing rugby at a higher level in Staffordshire than there is in Cheshire. Yeah. And that's quite alarming. If you think you've got Lichfield, Cannock, I'm not going to be able to name them all, but Stafford, now you've got Mm. Stone. You've got all these teams that are now coming to fruition, whereas in Cheshire... You've obviously got the likes of Sale, Nantwich, Waterloo, all of those. And I remember there was quite controversy when we started playing county to whether the women's premiership players should be allowed to play county. Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that because I found it quite hard sometimes that you'd get all of Sale and Waterloo coming to Cheshire Trials and that would be 75% of your squad. Yeah. And then the people that play grassroots, really grassroots, weren't getting a look in. Hmm. but then should they not be allowed to play because they technically live in that area do you know what I mean so quite a wide array really
5: rugby is hard enough without your equipment letting you down from badly fitting shirts to shorts that cut off your circulation many sportswear manufacturers haven't worked out how to make kit that fits for the rich variety of women's shapes and sizes After years of development, feedback and research, Halbro have done what many bigger sportswear brands have yet to achieve. Designed a playing kit specifically to fit the female form. With curves in all the right places, four-way stretch and a cut to suit all shapes and sizes, Halbro are uniquely placed to give your team the shirts they deserve.
2: For more information, contact Fergus at Halbro.com. To learn more about what Halbro can do for you and to see some amazing case studies, visit www.halbro.com forward slash women's hyphen rugby. And don't forget to mention grassroots.
0: What did you think about Cheshire? Did you think it was quite organised, high level, different to what we played in? No. <laughs> Well, I, no, but I haven't played county for Cheshire for probably five years now.
5: It was a really massive deal for me, actually, because I knew I was coming towards the end of my rugby career. And there really was only one thing I really wanted to do, and that was play for county before I stopped playing properly. And so I put everything into focusing just on that and then got through the trials and I got selected and I was in the squad But somehow I just couldn't seem to really relax into it at all. And I just thought that everyone was really trying to outdo each other when we were meant to be playing together as a team. I just don't know whether that is a county thing or whether it was just the personalities of the people that were selected and in that team. Also, it was weird because normally we'd be playing against those players. (laughs) And then we'd be like, oh, yes, no, we are mates, yes. And we're working together as a rugby team. (laughs) And also, I still want to kill you because you did that high tackle on me three three (laughs) matches ago. (laughs) I just didn't really enjoy it at all. And I just felt really self-conscious of my performance, everything I said, everything I did. I just didn't really like that. We had to pay for all the stash. And I just thought, yeah, it was well organized. But I just felt utterly scrutinized the whole time. More than normal.
6: My experience with high performance isn't as wide and varied as uh, Lou and Molly's because I didn't actually have a play game. I was on the team, but never got to play any games. So I never really got the background of what the makeup of the team was like, sort of organisation of or everything. Um, I was just there for their stash, really. I love her
0: honesty.
2: You obviously went through the trials, Jodie, yeah. and all of that. How did that feel? Because when you play at grassroots club level, whilst coaches want to be able to have selection decisions and you know, actually discuss players' suitability in different positions, it's often down to who's available, who's current injuries, and then balance after that. We rarely actually look and honestly scrutinise a player capability when you go into county you are as loose being looked at and watched i mean how did you find that experience when you're going through the trials
6: well the first time i sort of got onto the team this before covid the year before and even the second time actually you you have 20 minutes of a game against people you've never played with and you have to be on a team against people who have also never played against each other and you have to give your best performance within 20 minutes i don't think it's the best way of like sort of determining if a play is going to be good or not. I think if it's going to be the best team you can get for a a whole county is to go and see people playing in their natural sort of habitat with their own team and sort of see how they go there and sort of offer them, Go have you thought about looking at playing for Cheshire and sort of get them on that way?
5: Yeah, that's exactly how I felt, Jodie. I thought just being judged on a few minutes of play in a really alien environment with people who i either don't know or i kind of hate you know i don't think that's a, like a, a really good marker for what sort of player you are you don't play
6: as a team as well you play for yourself because you want to no. show your best side you want to show that you're the best you want to so you don't play the way you do play with your team
5: well that's when my acl snapped in not the first cheshire season but the, the second one when everyone was even more trying to outdo each other someone yeah who will not be named, just did this ridiculous low tackle. And I moved in a really awkward way. And there you go, end of rugby career for a while.
2: What I found really frustrating in cricket, I mean, cricket is a bit easier from a trials perspective because it is quite an individual sport. So if you're going out to bowl, you're on your own anyway, and you are trying to perform to the best of your ability. What I found really difficult was a lack of feedback. So you get selected, great, your name's on the team sheet, you play, when you don't, You don't ever get any feedback as to why. And I think that's definitely true within rugby. And I think as a coach, I've said this before and I'll say it again, the lack of interaction between the county setup and the club game is ridiculous. Coaches at grassroots level know their players extremely well week in, week out. We see them at their best and at their worst. We know about their ability under pressure. We know about their ability to gel with the team. We know what their super strengths are and so on. But not once did a coach from the Cheshire setup get in contact with me to say, "Look, what's your take on the players that are trialing, who do you think should trial, who's not trialing that should be?" As an example, I found that maddening. But when I approached it, what I found was that there was a level of arrogance within the coaching setup that basically said that we're the best coaches, we're best placed to make decisions and judgments over players' suitability. So, yeah, in other absolutely. words, the coaches at yeah. the grassroots game—they were good as useless. We were muppets who didn't know what we were talking about. But these super coaches that were selected into the Cheshire setup were somehow amazing. And the feedback from players that went into that setup wasn't that they'd gone and had outstanding world class coaching. It was quite the opposite in some situations.
0: I totally agree with you, Matt and Lou. And from what Jody said, the setup of trials throughout county and regional in rugby has changed a lot, but it's still not where it needs to be. There's several years where I know a group of maybe five or six of our best players from our club, including myself, have refused to go to county because of the elitism of the coaches and the atmosphere. You can't show your true rugby self in 20 minutes, like Jody said. You, you need them to have a rapport with you. You need to be training weeks on weeks so that they can see you in different situations. And like Lou said, there's a coach and then there's probably five players that have come from that coach's team. That they're, one, in a difficult position if they don't choose them, and two, they've already got in their head that, well, they play nine and ten for my club and I know how they work, so that's the easy option for me. And I think the way that rugby is at the moment has to mean that we change the way we select for county and regional and even higher but I don't know how you get round that because there's limited coaches available. So it will generally be the people that have got teams now who coach teams will be wanting to push themselves and move up to county. But I know for a fact that the atmosphere at county trial is not very pleasant. And if you're an introvert or somebody that's maybe new to rugby, no matter how good of a player you are, if you don't know a couple of people at that county trial, it can be a very uncomfortable session.
5: Yeah, it's not a nice place to be, actually. And yet you've got to step it up and be on your A game. That's a tough ask. It's horrible.
2: Yeah. What I found in cricket, and it sounds exactly the same in rugby, was there's people that were obviously part of the county setup year year on year, who would walk in and be on first name terms with coaches and other players, they'd feel very comfortable in the setup, and players for whom it was maybe their first time, it was very intimidating and, and uncomfortable. And the other thing I noticed within cricket was the higher you went up, and I had West of England trials, and there were players that weren't working as hard in the trials as, say, I was, and the players that were trying to prove themselves. It was almost a given that they would get in the squads because their reputation was such, or they'd maybe been in the squad before. And I found that very frustrating watching some players just standing around chatting, being matey matey with each other and the coaches. Lo and behold, when I got the letter saying I wasn't selected, with no feedback, by the way, those players were in the squad having dicked around frankly for a lot of the trial session so (laughs) it does make you feel like and whether that happens in rugby or not I don't know but it does make you feel like some of the selection decisions are predetermined
5: yeah agreed
2: and also based on reputation rather than performance
5: Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with
2: you, Matt. One thing that really impressed me with the interview with Zoe as you will hear, was not just how down-to-earth she was, but also how she managed to attain a level of performance almost by accident, by working hard, doing a good job, getting into the right setups and so on. It made me really think about what the difference is between her and, say, you guys. What is the big difference? Because a lot of the skills she's got, you guys have got. What's that point of difference between her and you? Normally, we focus on... The grassroots game, but we've been absolutely delighted to have the opportunity to interview Zoe Oldcroft, who has recently been voted the ILB Women's Player of the Year. So Zoe, massive congratulations first of all, for the award and welcome to the Wild podcast.
4: Thank you very much and thank you for having me.
2: So just as a starting point, Zoe, I'm really interested in your journey. So as I understand it, you started playing at Scarborough, was it, age nine?
4: Yeah, Scarborough Rugby Club. Yeah.
2: And ended up playing for england so talk me through your journey because that's obviously quite a big and steep learning journey isn't it
4: about the age of eight years old i went down to scab rugby club my brother used to play a lot of the time and i literally just used to stand and watch every sunday morning and then just one time i just i just got involved and absolutely loved it and then from there i was with the same age group because i was the only girl involved and so i was with the same age group from i think it was under nines till under 13s and then i had to leave because you can no longer play with the boys anymore at that age. So I went across to West Park Leeds. That was like the biggest setup in the north and the closest one to me that had um, an actual girls' team. And um, so I used to travel across there most Sundays um, to play games against the likes of Liverpool St Helens, um, Manchester, Glossop, like those sorts of teams. Yeah. And then obviously every other weekend we had to go even further and go to Manchester and Liverpool and those sorts of places. And so I played um, at West Park Leeds until the age of 16. And that's when I headed down to to Hartbury, where i um, was in the rugby academy there so that was kind of my grassroots sort of journey also played at malton and norton yeah did a little bit there as well
2: at what point did you realize that you were pretty good at rugby
4: oh god i, w- I don't know i wouldn't really say it until maybe i got down to Hartbury. like i knew that the Park team girls were really good and we had a really good coach and we just kept like developing as a team um, but it wasn't really until i got to Hartbury where i thought oh my god this is something that i actually like want to focus on and like maybe play for England one day so it wasn't really until then I just kind of just enjoyed the journey when I was young and I played so many other different spots as well that I had so many different things going on that I didn't really concentrate on just rugby it was just like the joy of doing it if that makes sense.
2: When you were learning the game from a young age in that situation where you're the only girl in a group of boys and things how did you manage to keep with it because a lot of players drop out at that point don't they?
4: Yeah they do and I think To be honest, I just loved it. Like the boys that I played with, they never went easy on me. So they were all like really supportive. Like they always ran the hardest at me um, and stuff like that. So I never really experienced the, um, oh, the boys didn't let me join in and that sort of thing. Because I think the boys actually really enjoyed me being there i don't really care what people think of me to be honest like and i just carried on really and <laughs> i just kept going like, i never had any negativity around it people were just like oh my goodness you play rugby that's really cool um, and that sort of thing and i just kept going and i, like, I did it because i loved it and like i didn't yeah. really mind what anyone else thought if I, they thought bad of it playing it then that's them issue <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Moving into the Heartbeat setup, then. Obviously, I, I imagine I, I've not been over to Scarborough, but certainly from living in the Northwest, the grassroots clubs are real families, aren't they? Yeah, they are. What do you think that environment did for you in as your career started to flourish in the game?
4: I think it just like my first ever coach, who's Keith Marshall, is actually passed away now, but um, he really. Drove the sportsmanship side of it, and I think as a like a grassroots sort of club, I think there's a lot of sponsorships. There's a lot of like close relationships, like you get really close to the team, and usually you stay together, or like the boys teams, they stay together right until the age of 18 until the players start playing senior rugby, really. And I think that side of it, I kind of took to Harbury, and then the girls that I was with at Hartbury we were also a really close bunch, which was something that they hadn't really had before because sometimes when you do go into like the higher stages like there's obviously so many more different personalities and that's also sort of but i think from that side of it i think we all just got on really well and i think that was definitely from our clubs in the grassroots level
2: one thing that i always find interesting looking at players and also i played myself for a period of time as well is that the skills involved in playing for crew and nantwich ladies against manchester ladies as we saw on sunday the skills involved are pretty much the same there's still the tackle and the pass and the kick and all the rest of it and I guess you'd think that those skills over time can be honed and developed to become very very good I guess from your experience what is the difference between yourself playing at an elite level compared to players that are perhaps very good but don't quite make it through
4: I think I would say the level of detail and the the knowledge around around the game and what you do at certain points of the game I'd say that was like one of the the main things and just like For example, you might be a really good tackler, but can you do it on biggest of people, if that makes sense? The technique that it is to do that, like are you just throwing yourself at them and hoping for the best, or are you really like getting your foot in close, like dropping your height, that sort of thing. So I think it's just like the level of detail around the game and the knowledge of the game, that's a that's a real massive thing. Like the right doing things at the right time.
2: In the heat of battle, I imagine that's quite difficult when it's chaos and at our level the game feels quite fast even though when you watch it back on video it's embarrassingly slow but at international level when things really are moving fast how do you keep your head how do you keep calm when there are split second decisions to make
4: i think it sounds just a lot of practice to be honest i mean i know there's been times when i was like playing for Gloucester, Hartbury now I'm literally like losing my head like oh my goodness oh my goodness and that sort of thing but I think it's just like a lot of practice like at England we do this thing called PPP which is like physical pressure practice and it's just basically mayhem and just getting used Mm. to it really it's just about getting used to that sort of pressure being on you and then dealing with it in the right ways like making rational decisions like composing before you do that and also that comes with experience I would say yeah like I think each year as I go on, like the pressure side of it, I like feel more relaxed on the, on the pitch, and then that gives me a clear head to make those correct decisions.
2: Zoe, at what point were you able to say to yourself, I'm an international player? One thing I've always noticed with elite athletes is a lot of what drives them is a fear of failure and almost an absolute obsession with getting better.
4: But to be honest, I want to say it. Probably in the last season that I would have really classed myself as a, as an international player. Like, I think from my first cup, I was just like an excited, like, young girl. Like, I didn't really think about rugby. I didn't think about like the detail side of it, that sort of thing. And then. I had a couple of seasons where I was out with injury and I just never really got that consistency and when I did come back I was like sitting on the bench and that sort of thing. And then I think like over the last couple of seasons it's just like clicked a little bit more that like I've really put the effort into like knowing my detail, like knowing the stuff around the line out, like obviously like I said before doing the stuff at the right time and just making the correct decisions really and trying to Yeah trying to basically just really take out any mistake from my games and
3: just being like consistently quite good how do you identify what mistakes that you do make and, and how you then change that so we don't necessarily video record any all of our games and i think that might be really helpful so i was just wondering how you do that zoe
4: so i try and not make mistakes by so we say that like, we make mistakes because, like, we've lost our concentration for a second. And it probably is right, because, like, if I think back to, like, the mistake I made, I was like, was I concentrated? And then the answer is probably no. So it's just about being, like, switched on for the whole entire game. I know that is quite hard, but it does come down to just, like, your concentration levels like in the game, if that makes sense. But um, if you have made a mistake and, like, you want to, like, re-go over it whatever, I'd say, like, during the game, there's no point hanging on to it because there's absolutely nothing that you can do. I always think, I've made a mistake. That's going to be on the end office on monday and i'm like oh goodness but um but yeah there's nothing you can do in the game so just forget about it then and then obviously you can use that whole entire week to improve on what you have made a mistake on or like if there is something and then that can be your main focus for that week because i always think it's important going into i think i'd say this for young people or like grassroots level as well each week go into training with a focus that you want to that you want to focus on because There's so many things in rugby, you can't focus on them all. So if you just have one thing a week, then that can really improve that thing just in that little amount of time.
2: As a professional athlete now, Zoe, it's now your job. How has that differed from when it wasn't your job? Um,
4: I mean, my attitude has definitely not changed at all i wouldn't say um i think that the main difference is the time we get to do the extra sort of stuff like the analysis the like recovery side of it i think that's a, obviously a massive part of it and um, so that that is obviously the the biggest difference but to be honest i'm probably not the best person to ask because i came obviously straight from uni and college straight into professional rugby and um, so it's pretty much all i've really known and um,
2: yeah you're playing a lot of rugby now you've played sevens you're playing in you're playing for heartbreak and so on before a game of rugby there's a lot of anticipation isn't there a lot of i guess nerves a lot of mental preparation as well as physical preparation how do you personally get in the right headspace before going out to play if your job's anything like my job there are times where i just wake up in the morning and think yeah not today
4: yeah i completely agree there is much days and i like wake up and i'm like oh, i'm not there today but <laughs> like, i just have this switch i'm like Right, so You just have to get on with it. Just do it. And that that's just my switch and like I just think that every single time because I have no choice. I just have to get on with it. So yeah, I think that's that's my mental switch to be honest. Just get on with it. <laughs> to be honest, it absolutely helps. I just have a deep breath and I'm like Right, come on then,
2: and then come on then. Get on with it.
4: After a bowl of porridge and a bacon and egg bagel. <laughs> what
2: about the nerves? You do experience nerves before a game.
4: Oh God, yeah, I am. I get so nervous. I'm quite calm in the morning, and then. As I'm like heading to the ground, whatever, like I'll start picking up, and then just before kickoff, when the like whistle's about to go, my heart is literally coming through my chest.
3: When you were talking about eating a, a bagel before, there's no way I'd be able to do that. <laughs> We've talked at length on our podcast about pre-game nervous toilet habits, um, and, uh, <laughs> and and being sick and everything like that. Have you had any tips or anything like that about how to manage those nerves in a positive way rather than it completely making your head go? We
4: have a lot of work on it, and like. A lot of like match preparation work with our psychologists. Everyone has their own separate routines, but I think it's just about having a routine that that keeps you calm. But um, to be honest, I don't personally like to stick to a routine because I feel like it messes up a lot of the time. Mm. But I actually have a little Johnny Wilkinson knitted doll.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I've heard about this.
4: He is just, like, my consistency. So, like, every game, he'll just be at the bottom of my bag and he just makes me feel relaxed because he's the same thing every single time. Like, he's just going to chill in the bottom of my bag. I can look at him game, every single time, if that makes sense. Whereas I feel like there's so many different changes to a rugby game. I think that's just one thing that makes well, me personally calm and also just, like, listening to music, keeping as chilled as possible. Also, I love to know as much about the opposition as possible and that keeps me calm as well, so
2: how does that not scare you though if you're doing your research on an opposition and you just think oh my goodness this person is an absolute monster so how do you manage that sense of fear and anticipation
4: Uh I would just say that like i wouldn't i don't focus on other players being scary i focus on how i can stop them being scary if that makes sense so like yeah like if they're really exceptional in the lineup for example i like look and see how i can disrupt that i wouldn't say i look at people and think oh my god they've got this person in the team
2: in the world game then is there a player you look at and just think god i wish i was at your level
4: sarah Byrne, i think she's amazing <laughs> she's yeah i'd love to have her points
2: <laughs> you mentioned johnny wilkinson there have you met johnny
4: I have, yeah. I met him in Toulon when I was oh god, I must have been like fourteen or something like that. Did you? We went on a West Park Leeds tour to um, Toulon and we got to meet him at the end of the game and it was really cool.
2: <laughs> was it? I tried to meet Johnny Wilkinson in Toulon when he was retiring. Some friends of ours. we're all the same age and Johnny's the same age as we are. And we followed him all through that journey into the World Cup final and so on. So when he was in his final year, we thought we'd go and pay homage to Johnny down in Toulon. So we booked off flights, booked our accommodation, bought our tickets for the game, got to Toulon, only to find out that the game was actually being played in Nice. And Johnny was rested for the game. Oh, no. So I've been on a mission ever since to meet Johnny Wilkinson. And then even more annoying, there, there was a, some sort of O2 Touch Awareness Day thing at Sale Sharks a couple of years ago. And I was busy doing something really annoying, like taking my kids to a birthday party. And all of the team had their photos with Johnny Wilkinson. So my mission continues. In terms of your recent award so though, was that a surprise to you?
4: Um, yeah, it was a massive surprise. Obviously, um, well, I got nominated... And there was four of us that were nominated. And then I didn't think I was going to win it because Poppy is, she's insane. Yeah. It was a massive surprise.
2: When you received that, what was the reaction from those close to you?
4: They were just ecstatic. I got, um, so they actually came into a Gloucester training session to tell me. So I had all the girls around me and they were all screaming and stuff. Um, and then obviously rang my mum and dad. My boyfriend, Luke, and they were just they were just so happy.
2: Amazing. The great thing about that, I guess, is it's something that nobody can ever take off you. You'll always have that on your career, won't you? The career for any rugby player is uncertain, isn't it? With injury and, and selection and so on. But that's something that's now on your CV and will be there forever.
4: Yeah, definitely. It's very cool.
2: <laughs> very cool. Looking at the international game and Premier 15s as well a little bit, more recently there's been increased coverage of the sport, which is fantastic for fans of the women's game. You're now on TV more, the greater audiences and so on. There's two questions here. First of all, what was it like playing the Black Ferns in front of 20,000 people at Sandy Park recently?
4: yeah that was amazing like I think obviously it shows just how much growth there has been over over the last couple of years and how much like visibility can actually do for the game um I think it was amazing to see so many young girls and in the crowd and like hopefully like we're inspiring them to to be able to do that one day
2: with increased coverage and increased press reporting and so on. There's also an increased scrutiny, isn't there? A couple of years ago, there could be a selecting decision made at international level and it wouldn't really make too many ripples outside of the people that follow the game. But obviously, the more you're on TV, the more coverage there is, the more your names are out there. There's going to be an increase in scrutiny and in people questioning people's performances, people's selection and so on. How are you prepared for that? And have you seen that starting already?
4: Um, yeah, definitely. Like we always feel that well, we obviously go out and try to do our best, there's no doubt about that, but um we do get like told like how to deal with like that sort of stuff and we know that obviously there's a lot of pressure on us at the moment because we have had such a positive autumn internationals and we know that there's like a lot of media on us at the moment to like keep backing it up and backing it up. And I think there will be until, well, that's us now. There will always be that scrutiny. Mm. You can either read it or not read it, to be honest. And I think sometimes it is good to read because then it hits you with reality and maybe that is the right thing, that sort of thing. But also a lot of, a lot of it is they don't actually know what, what is happening and that sort of thing. So, um, this is one of those things.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's good to see the back pages with a bit more diversity for sure. And I think it's good as a player, I guess, to stay honest, isn't it? And to take criticism as well as support. But I guess it also must be frustrating when you're inside camp knowing how hard you're working and knowing how hard the people around you are working. And when people from outside volunteer their opinion, I can imagine it could be quite frustrating.
4: Yeah, definitely.
2: Who's your biggest inspiration then, Zoe?
4: As I would say growing up, I didn't really have any like main like role models. But when I was 16, I obviously went to Hartbury College and I'd say Nolly Waterman, Danielle Waterman, it was one of my biggest inspirations. We got coached by her at Hartbury and I'd say like she just kind of drove us to the standard that we needed to be to make that international level and we've got to see like firsthand how hard she worked and stuff and she actually had to give up that job just so she can focus on going to the next World Cup and then bettering herself so I think Nolly was one of my massive
2: inspirations. Looking at the game at and in in the Premier 15s and so on imagine you see quite a lot of emerging players who do you think that we don't yet know about is going to be a big deal in a few years.
4: She has actually got a couple of caps currently, but um, she's um, injured at the moment and she, like not many people know, but Moena Tallinn from Loughborough Lightning, I think she is going to be amazing when she, um, And she gets back and in a couple of years, once she gets her consistency, I think she'll be really good. And then a couple of other people, I think um, Connie Powell, I think she's slowly coming into the setup and I think she's going to be really good in a couple of years' time also.
2: Looking forward to seeing their names, absolutely. I'm always staggered when I see some of these athletes that are on the park at the minute. Jess Breach, for example, when she came onto the scene, I I couldn't believe how good she was, how how quick she was. Uh, There's some people in in the England setup that you just look at and think, how on earth are you doing that?
4: Oh yeah, definitely. I think, I think it's just like every year we get these people in that we haven't heard from before or, or like anything like that and you're like wow where has this person been yeah. and obviously it kind of keeps you on your toes because you know that obviously it's just going to keep coming and coming so it gives you a, a drive to, to improve yourself as well but yeah the the amount of talent that's coming through is just amazing and even the, the young Harpreet skills who are just starting their journey I coach those guys the talent that are in that's in there already and they've still got a couple of years before they're even able to come and play for mm-hmm. Foster Harpreet or potentially for England but I definitely I think there's some england players in that in that group of girls
2: yeah at Crue and Antwitch, the junior section in our club is fairly small really still but i was watching them play the other day and seeing 16 year olds throwing flat passes spiral kicks making big tackles it's like a couple of years ago when the game is relatively embryonic some of those skills were you know, at grassroots level anyway were were just unheard of you know it's it's fantastic to see it
4: yeah definitely i, th- I think also like the amount of visibility that like young boys and girls now have it like comes from obviously on Instagram there's like loads of different videos that they can watch on how to like learn the skills and that sort of stuff and then also the visibility of being able to watch the rugby on on telly the men's and women's I think the skill set in that in the international game has also risen so their, yeah. they're wanting to do skills like those guys on tv so they're practicing themselves which is also really good in the younger levels.
2: He's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I, the rock, I, the river, I, the tree, I am yours, your passages have been paid.
3: Inch by inch, play by play, till we're
2: finished. The Greeks had Socrates, Romans had Cicero, the French Descartes, and this is the Shakespeare of grassroots women's rugby. This is where legends are made Shez says. I
0: don't even know how to
1: podcast Sherry, how tall are you? Five foot ten. Oh, you're similar
6: height. She's five eleven. I'm
1: just thinking that's where the similarities sort of end. Yeah, but I've shrunk a bit now because I'm older. I probably was five eleven.
2: There are quite a lot of parallels between Zoe and you, Sherry. For two reasons, does that, right? Does
1: that mean things in common?
2: Yes. Firstly, she plays second row. Yeah. And secondly, She's got a little knitted doll of Johnny Wilkinson in her bag. And I am seen to remember you've got a knitted doll of Jamie Roberts.
1: No, it's not knitted. It's like a giant plush thing. Oh, is it? It's an actual teddy. I've also got a, a grog of Jamie a Roberts. What? They're called oh, wow. a grog. It's an ornament that's been made in Wales, and each one has a unique number, and it's a little China Jamie Roberts. Really? It's unique. They won't be two oh. the same. A bit like Dog.
2: Do you have him in your bag for rugby? Is he like your little lucky charm?
1: No, he sits on me bed. Yeah, too big to have in my bag. The bag is already full at that point with various baby wipes and stuff. There's no room for Jamie.
2: <laughs> so we talked to Zoe a little bit about two things, well, several things actually. But one of the things we talked about was pretty much prep, pretty much breakfast, that kind of thing. How to deal with nerves. She yeah. talks a little bit about how she gets herself ready for a game. As there's another second row, how do you get ready for a game?
1: What's her routine? What does she do first? Breakfast?
2: Yeah, she has a bit of breakfast. She has a, was it a bacon and egg bagel? oh
1: that's that's high end and a protein shake
2: and some porridge
1: mine's likely to be a chocolate pancake in the car while driving or something like that i've got no time for peeling avocados and that shit on game day i'm probably coming straight from an eight-hour shift so i may not have eaten at all could be a twix on route can of red bull who knows (laughs) athletes yeah it's all about thinking on your feet no time to plan
2: what about as you actually get to the changing rooms then, so Zoe talks about the importance of having a bit of a routine, nothing too fixed, because if it's too fixed, it can go wrong. Maybe listen to some calming music. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, maybe some breathing exercises to get ready, that oh, kind yeah, of thing.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Sounds like birth. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's none of that. There's no calming music at any point in my life. There's no calm. What do you listen to? Rage Against the Machine, Sorry. No, I like Dark Days of Over by Florence of the Machine. Bit of that nice. full blast in the car. That gets me in the zone. Definitely not talk radio. That makes me want to drive into the lorry that's in front of me. That man's (laughs) voice. Oh, painful. None of that. I don't even have time to think about it because I'm usually going straight from something to a game. So there is no window for prep. It's straight from that to that. It's normally wheel spin into the car park. I've either already got my kit on because I'm on the final second. So I haven't even got time to use the changing rooms. I just throw my bag on the floor and run out. Or it could be that I've got my kit with me and I have to pull into a lay-by somewhere and get changed in the back of the van while blasting out Florence and the machine.
2: We also talked to her a little bit about dealing with nerves. Yeah. So do you get nervous before a game, Sherry?
1: Mm, Not really. I've got so much craziness going on. You know, if there was... All this time for prep, I probably would get nervous because I'd have time to mull it all over. I'm so, from one thing to the other, there's no time to even think about the game. I'm on the pitch and the game's happening before I've thought about it. I don't have any time to mull things over. It's just instant. So no, not really.
2: So perhaps we need to work on that, Sherry, next game. If you you're well, getting, 10 minutes getting nervous. No, not getting nervous. <laughs> <yeah. Is that laughs> a good thing? No. That would get you in a nice, calm headspace before yeah. the game.
1: Maybe Pim yeah. and Pam could help.
2: Maybe they could. Maybe we could mm. have them on standby before a game. <laughs> Give you a quick neck crack before you go into the first squad. Sounds
1: lovely. You know, when we find out before that the team we're playing are here in the league or we, they beat us by this last time, that doesn't really make me nervous, but that I don't like to know about things like that, really, because I don't like to let things like that in my mind. So it's not really nerves. Do we want Sherry to be more Zoe, or do you want Zoe to be more Sherry?
2: That's a good question. I think Zoe was pretty chilled, wasn't she, to be fair? I was really quite surprised how chilled she was.
1: Probably Sherry needs to be more Zoe then. I should be more chilled.
2: One thing that really struck me was, and I personally wouldn't want to do this, is how much she talked about researching and getting the heads up on her opposite number. So when you go onto the pit, Sherry, do you take any time to look at your opposite number and come up with a plan about how you're going to...
1: I usually size them up and look for the biggest one and think you're getting it. That's what I generally do. I look along and I I look for the big animal, you know, the beast. There's always a beast. I love it when the big ones run at me. That's my favourite part of the game. I love it. And I usually pinpoint the biggest one and think, yeah, you're getting it.
2: Can you remember a particular tackle you've made that's made you feel really good?
1: Probably a high one, which probably resulted in a yellow card, if (laughs) I'm honest. (laughs) Got to get your picks on somewhere. It wouldn't have been intentional. Yeah.
2: But you, Jodie, what do do you do to prep mentally before going on the pitch?
1: I feel like I should prep because I'd see (laughs) everyone else around me
6: doing stuff. I feel guilty for not doing any prep.
1: I worry too much. I get too
2: nervous. Yeah, I do as
1: well, Jodie. I think you can have too much time. You can have too much time and then stress you out and it does affect the game. You're better off with the just-get-on-with-it approach, I think. The game that
6: we're supposed to have this weekend against Sheffield, up until last week, I was planning on driving up to Sheffield because I thought it was away. (laughs)
5: <laughs> I mean, oh, my God. Jodie, you cannot get this right any week. <laughs> I was really looking forward to this week's game.
1: it got cancelled.
2: I oh, know I was. Weekend yeah, off, Christmas
1: social, last game of the year, and then no. So what actually happened? Why haven't we got a game? Is it to do with the pandemic?
2: Yeah. yeah.
5: Just too dangerous with coronavirus situations. team are still playing today, aren't they?
2: The thing is, and I'm not by any means accusing Sheffield of this, but... The COVID pandemic is a nice convenient excuse when you haven't quite got the right team for, to play a game Ooh, that you think you can win.
6: Controversial, Matthew. I'm
2: well, not for a minute. Do you, you want, want them to like, post
6: out the lateral flows directly to you
1: to prove it?
2: I'd like. Yeah, I think we should have a, a testing stage. In fact, Sherry, you could do that. You, you know, you've got some training in first aid, have not you? You could do the lateral test.
1: I'm more deep than the right CPR. The I'm not. I'm not into vaccinating people. That's not really going to end very well.
5: <laughs> do you need some mouth to mouth, Lou? No, you're all right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely fine. No worries here.
2: The other thing we talked about with Zoe, which I thought was really fascinating, was and actually you lot owe me an apology for rolling your eyes when we talk about superpowers in training because really? Zoe talks about how it's important to know what your superpower is or your super strength, as she called it, and try and get better at that rather than trying. Mine. At... How
1: do you know what it
2: is? I was about to ask you that question, Sherry. What That's do you think mine out?
1: You dominate line out so well. Oh, yeah, I love yeah. the line outs. It's again, it's to do with that you won't beat me thing. It's that
5: I want it to be mine. You do an awesome ball carry as well. Yeah. Once you've got that ball, it's totally your mindset. You are not letting it go. Yeah, and exactly. No one is getting you down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that I can go through about six or seven people just to cover the ground to get us nearer to the try line. It's good. That's what I'm on about when I'm on about the big ones running at me. That's what I love. My mind is at. When I've I've already would have sized these ones up. It would be coming at me and I've already decided you won't stop me. And that's what you're on about. I've already decided at the beginning of the game and I've seen them at some point, you will try and stop me. It won't happen. and I love it.
2: <laughs> so what Zoe talked about was how when you've got a super strength or something you're really good at, you should try and become better at that. So I think what you should say to the coaches, Sherry, is not to even bother trying to train you how to do three on two passing and all that kind of stuff yeah
1: exactly this green ball yellow ball that's no use to me that's a great approach for training back that is just train me you know the stuff that's for everybody everybody is good at something some people are really good at all those other things and i'm not so yeah and and eventually it'll all like the laws and
5: shit like
2: that exactly so So what we're going to do next time right is we're going to get maddie in a subsuit and we're going to wrap her in packets of 70 percent off ham from aldi
1: Lady Gaga turned up to the awards in a, a dress made of ham. Oh my god! It's just too many jokes. I can't cope with this. <laughs> so
2: there you go. She's going
1: to get pounced on by a pack of dogs.
2: So we're going to get you to first get the ham off off <laughs> oh my gosh. and then we're going to set a pack of dogs on you to keep hold of the ham.
5: <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Matt, how would you come up with these ideas?
1: This looks, sounds this like a, a trailer for a zombie film.
2: It's like Hunger Games, quite literally, for the dogs.
1: Wow. Well, <laughs> Sometimes you really worry me, Matt. <laughs> yeah, me too. And he's actually got children. It's quite scary.
2: What about you, Jenny? What's your super strength?
1: Um, think yeah. tackles hard.
2: Okay. So really, you and Sherry should train one-on-one, shouldn't you? So you run at Sherry. She tries to... I know. It's that
1: Zoe used to... Play netball as well, didn't she? And ballet and dance. I've never done ballet, I've never been that petite. And netball definitely helps in rugby. That's probably why I'm good at the line out.
5: Yeah, definitely.
2: I agree with you. I think netball's a really good Yeah, it you know,
5: is. Sport and Regan's really
1: good at rugby. rugby, and she's always played netball as well, and it definitely helps.
2: So I think super strength training is definitely.
1: Yeah, definitely. Because all of this green ball, yellow ball, all this stuff, all I do is get in trouble. It just brings me great stress and makes me go home and drink wine. I don't need to do that on a Wednesday night. And so if we do what you've just suggested, training will be a dream. Just get me Delina. better at the things I'm already good at. Don't need to waste any more time trying to teach them to me because it's pointless.
2: We did a session with Sherry where we looked at the things she's good at, say, for example, taking the ball into contact, and we looked at some of the detail within that to get better at that one skill and exactly. almost forget about the other stuff that yeah, you're probably ball. not very good at and yeah. maybe don't see the value of. Mm, yes, Then... Rather than breaking one tackle, you might break two tackles.
1: Yeah, exactly. Good plan. Pencil me in. Well, Zoe clearly knows what she's on about and it works for her. And I'll get in less trouble and I won't be told, why are you there? Why aren't you there? Because that's generally how training goes for me. (laughs) Why are you there? Why are you there? Oh, I'll go there then. When I get there, they ask me why I'm there. I don't know whether I'm coming or going. (laughs) But if I was doing line outs and taking the ball in, I know exactly what's going on. Less trouble, less stress, less wine. (laughs) <laughs> happy training session
5: do you have any specific advice for girls and younger women that are currently playing at their club level that want to aspire and play at a much higher level
4: i would say that if you have a strength so like if someone's strength is Tackling or carrying the ball or passing or distribution that sort of thing. I would say really focus on it and and really excel in that skill because if you have a super strength, then it's really hard for people to not select you if you have that super strength. Because you could be like, oh, this girl, she's only average at this, but she is amazing at this, and like this is going to win us the game. Like that could be the difference between winning and losing a game. So I'd say if you have a a skill that you are good at really really work on that skill and keep working on that skill to make it a, a super strength and something that no one else can beat i love oh, I that, love advice. that. Yeah, i love advice. that
2: we always used to talk about superpowers didn't we in fact maybe this is the first time in my life i've been like ahead of the curve with coaching <laughs> i always used to talk about it and everyone used to roll their eyes in training about talking about your superpower so yeah i was right all along
3: i was just going to ask zoe what she thought her superpower was then so what is it that you saw when you were younger and thought this is what i'm going to really work on um, i thought my superpower was tackling dominant tackles oh my god could you come and do a masterclass with us then Please. (laughs) (laughs) that is not my superpower (laughs) yeah
2: are you free on saturday about 12 (laughs) o'clock we've got a game against sheffield and we could do with a few big hits (laughs) is there a tackle that you remember i I remember as a player there was little parts of the game i think i just remember that one hit or that one kick is there anything that you really remember from one game you just think wow that felt good
4: I remember from playing with the with the boys, we played at Whitby. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's absolutely freezing. And <laughs> um, they had this one boy, and I was playing fullback at the time, and it was called Cannonball. And every time we round with the ball, everyone just used to shout Cannonball. And I just remember he absolutely just lined me up. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, oh, God. I just was screaming dial. just... Crabbed around his knees and just sent him backwards and I'll literally never forget it. It was amazing. (laughs) I was like, oh my goodness, I got him down. My shoulder absolutely killed after, but I got him down.
2: (laughs) I love that. I wonder whether his nickname changed after that. (laughs)
5: <laughs> I'm not sure it
2: probably should have done
5: so on the podcast often we talk about things that are really grassroots like the posts leaning on a 45 degree angle or crazy things that happen only really in the grassroots game what we really want to know is is there anything that's happened when you've been playing for England or something really international set up and you think oh my god that's really grassroots I can't believe that happened
4: <laughs> last year when we were playing France away it was like I think it was just a friendly but um yeah, we played France away and on the 60th minute the lights just all went out
2: Oh, I saw that.
4: Yeah, and absolutely no one knew what was happening. We were all, like, stood on the pit. Like, I didn't know if my, like, I've got something wrong with my eyes. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've like, been knocked in the head, and my eyes have just, like, shut down or something. But, um, yeah, the lights just gone off. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was absolutely crazy. And we were all like, what happens? Like, do we play in the dark? Like, do we do we we and stuff? But, obviously, that game had to be um, called at 60 Minutes which was just insane and we were all saying like oh my god this is uh so amateur and stuff like this uh, yeah that was probably the biggest thing that's happened that's um this grassroots level at um, international level
2: that was special wasn't it did they ever work out what happened was it just with france losing and they just accidentally on purpose pulled the plug out
4: I <laughs> the real world, but I'm not sure. <laughs> apparently they're, they're naturally set to um go off at that time and no one had changed them
5: oh
2: for like goodness that. sake that's amazing.
4: <laughs> you know what it's like
5: at club level when you're playing rugby. After the match, you have downing pints and dick of the day and that sort of thing. Do you do that at international level or
4: do you have like an electrolyte drink and a cold shower? um yeah it's, it's usually the the second one we have a protein shake and a bit of recovery really but um we are allowed to celebrate on our last night of the series or whatever and the last one that we did we had a harry potter social on the last night and that was absolutely incredible we made our team room into hogwarts like they were hanging candles from the ceiling like we have potions that we were drinking um, so yeah that was that was really oh, well, so, you, so you went full out then <laughs> <full> yeah
2: <laughs> our lot tend to dress up as their grannies so Harry Potter sounds a lot more upmarket than the, the kind of nonsense that goes on at our club so if you could replay one game what would it be and why
4: I would probably replay the Black Ferns one the first one that we just played just because I think we were just all so stunned and amazed like what was happening we were like oh my goodness and I just literally looked every single second of it and I literally didn't even want to off the pitch. it was just so, so incredible
2: I love that obviously you're going into World Cup cycle again now aren't you yeah and I'm guessing you know England are now favorites for that how does that sit with where you're at as a squad
4: um there is a lot of chat that obviously like're the favorites for it but I think we also have to come back down to reality that there is France like they are a massive team who literally we've only just beaten narrowly the last couple of times and I think that We are currently sat at that top position, but there's always people like biting our ankles. And we know that New Zealand and the likes of Canada, they're not going to be the same teams that we've just played. They're going to be completely different next year and they're going to be very strong. So we know that we've just got to keep our feet on the ground, just keep working at our own things, stuff that we need to improve on to go into that World Cup next year
2: there's nothing more you can do is there than just try and stick with the process i guess if you worry about what other teams are doing you become obsessed with that almost won't you
4: yeah that's very true yeah. i think that's that's a lot of time what maybe coaches get wrong a bit they concentrate too much on the opposition mm. and i think that it affects us doing what we do best um and concentrating on ourselves and what our super skills are because if we like i said before um individuals they need to concentrate on their super skills but also as a team you need to concentrate on your super skills then. so no that other teams can be come near it
2: absolutely yeah it's so easy to get intimidated by the fear of the opposition without thinking about what you're good at yourselves isn't
4: it yeah definitely
2: imagine it must be quite difficult to enjoy playing sometimes when you're playing at international level is it
4: oh no i love it every time i do i love it every time i'd say obviously you have like your hard days and stuff and you're literally like i'm sick of rugby right now <laughs> and, and you just need like a couple of days off and stuff like that but I never go into a game and think, oh, I hate this, whatever. I just love it. I don't know. A lot of people might not say the same, but honestly, I just love playing rugby. I I love training. I love it all. I don't don't love the gym as much,
3: but um, I get on with it.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It's a necessary evil, isn't it?
3: I was going to build on that, actually, and say, how has rugby positively impacted the rest of your life? Because I think that's something that I found. So I started rugby very late. So uh, I only started three years ago when I turned 37. But I've, I have found that it's had a really positive impact on me in terms of confidence and body positivity and things like that. And I was just wondering how it's positively impacted you and whether you've seen that through your whole career. Um, yeah, definitely. It's,
4: well, I've, like, I haven't really had a life without rugby, to be honest, but um, the positives like some of the things that you do happen like the relationships you have in a rugby team there's not really any other friendships like it (laughs) like you go from through some weird stuff like you do (laughs) with the bond that you have is just just next level and the body positivity stuff rugby is for all shapes and sizes you don't look at anyone in the team and think anything different of anyone you're all just in that bubble like having fun together and I think that's just one of the best things about rugby it draws in so many different people so many different body shapes and sizes but when you're actually there on the pitch no one cares what you do they just care if you like catch the ball or not <laughs> like, like yeah
2: i always find it very frustrating My my daughter's 11 and she's looking it's still, you know, because of the world she's in, I guess, looks at oh, I don't know Kim Kardashian or something like that as a role model. I'm thinking, no, you're looking in the wrong place for your role models. You need to go watch the Red Roses. You need to look at the GB hockey team and so on. There, they're the ones that you should be inspired. Do you carry that responsibility a little bit, Zoe?
4: Um, I suppose definitely. I always forget that I'm a role model, but like I think it's a massive privilege for me to to be a role model because i'd say like you said to your daughter i w- would never look at kim kardashian and that sort of stuff because they just make me laugh people like jess Ennis, serena williams those sorts of people i'm literally like wow they are insane people what they do with their bodies like how they inspire people like how hard they work for stuff that they've achieved i think they're the real role models out there and to to be a role model for those you know, young girls and even boys um it's something that i'm really proud of
2: the more people tell that story better i think i remember seeing a few years ago there was an article in one of the some of the newspapers and they took loads of photos of olympians in various costumes and you know swimwear and all that kind of stuff and it was incredible the different shapes and sizes of, of the athletes and yet these were all at elite level i thought it's a fantastic message to give to people that maybe have a body shape that they don't want or don't like and how they can actually use it and respect its power
4: yeah, definitely. I think your body can do things that no one else's body can do. And like you should just respect it because you can't be in another body. So you just got to do with your body. And I don't think people should not like their body because it's amazing what they can do. You can breathe, you can see things or whatever. And I just think, yeah, it's, your body can do things that you don't even know probably that they can do, if that makes sense.
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
3: Yeah, I think building on that about, I think one of the things that rugby does do is enable people to celebrate that, which is really difficult, I think, when you're growing up. And I think possibly even worse so during the teenage years. So have you kind of found anything in relation to how to encourage recruitment or retention of young girls and young women into rugby so that they do choose that? Because I think that's a a massively positive thing. I know a couple of, from following some of the other grassroots rugby teams, especially those that are kind of just establishing, the struggle to try and get girls and women into rugby and and stay in rugby?
4: Yeah, I think one of the main things is having real fun and enjoyable sessions like something that the girls want to come back to not just concentrating on handling drills that sort of thing but getting them involved in games and like keeping their energy really high because I think that's what lets off the endorphins the um, the competitive side of stuff or, or what I did for me anyway so for any coaches out there coaching young girls just making sessions real fun and like not too serious just keeping it real light-hearted and then hopefully they'll just enjoy that and then that'll slowly start to drive them
2: fun is everything at that age group isn't it and i think it's good to take people out of their comfort zone a little bit when you're training at an international level are there some sessions that you just think, this is mental.
4: Every Wednesday when we're in camp, we do this session called PPP, which is physical pressure practice, and it is absolutely mayhem for an hour, and <laughs> you just got to keep going because we've got these GPSs on, we've got heart rate monitors on. You get all the results at the end of it and stuff, and um, yeah, you just got to keep going. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> it's something like 180% of game day intensity, something like that. Wow.
2: Yeah, well, Crikey. full on. The, the captain at our club, Katie, or Katie Sixpoos, to give her her full moniker. She's one of these players that plays with high level of intensity. And in that sort of situation, she'd probably injure most of the team. <laughs> Is there anybody within the England camp that you just keep well away from, <laughs> just in case?
4: Probably Sarah Byrne. <laughs> she's
2: massive.
4: She's such a strong girl. And she's just... She's
2: a bulldozer. Usually, <laughs> Fantastic. Well, look, Zoe, I think we've taken up way too much of your time already, but I could honestly talk to you all day. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. I've had a question that's come in from somebody that could make it on the pod today. Jodie. She said, can you see if Shauna Brown would take my number? Um, <laughs> so it's up to you whether you pass that on or not.
3: I would advise no. I'd advise
2: strongly <laughs> against that. Um, but if you see her around the clubhouse and she needs a bit of company then Jodie's Jodie's always up for a for a chat in inverted commas
5: <laughs> Going back to something Matt was angling at earlier he was really hoping that you'd have Johnny Wilkinson's number and you could pass it <laughs> on to him because he is such a boy fan of <laughs> Johnny
2: I know I do love Johnny
4: <laughs>
2: Yeah probably with Johnny he's quite private isn't he he, yeah. you know, he keeps himself to himself because I am in a really random way sort of related to him via some cousin of a cousin and there was wedding a long time ago that he went to and I was like right how do I get on this wedding invite list didn't pull it off and it's starting to get a little bit creepy if I'm honest so I think I'll I'll wait for him to come to me when we're internationally famous with our podcast could happen I suppose (laughs) look Zoe fantastic to have you on the pod today love chatting to you again massive congratulations on the award we were all rooting for you and to see you get it was fantastic not just for fans but obviously for you and your family as well I guess just to to kind of leave us with what message would you give out to grassroots players and supporters in the game to finish us up.
4: Keep working on your um, super strength, keep enjoying it, and keep supporting your local club.
2: Absolutely. So important to support local clubs. Well, when you were playing for Waterloo, you must have played with some pretty good players there. When you looked around at those players that were, if you like, established in a Premiership setup, how were they different to yourself and players in the crew setup
0: I can't really say that I had a long career at Waterloo but I did train there for nearly six months and unfortunately injury shocker my knee my other knee actually my now good knee caused me to stop being able to carry on with that prem for some time but I remember turning up at the club and and we turned up and we were playing Gloucester-Hartbury and they'd come on this massive bus. And I remember seeing Mo Hunt get off the bus and they got off with their physio and all their kit and everything. And we went into the changing rooms and it was all hung up and all nice, you know, all the things that we do. But then there was like the physio were giving you pre-match rub, you've got all your gels and everything that you needed, you've got water bottles, socks, all your kit was sorted for you ultimately all you had to do was turn up with your boots walk into the changing room and everything was ready for you drinks halftime time snacks tape all the stuff that you have to pack on a daily basis for rugby was there so you didn't really have to do a lot of thinking about what you needed to do it was just more about the performance i wouldn't say and this isn't degrading to waterloo at, at all and they've obviously not in the prem anymore but there's I think hierarchy in the premiership at the moment and not necessarily by who's got the most money, but by the performance and what facilities they have. DMP lost 88 nil to Exeter. I think it was 88 nil this weekend. And they have been in the premiership for several years now and they are getting beaten week on week on week. And I'm not saying they don't have the facilities, but they don't seem to have the international players, the people with contracts that don't have to hold down a full-time job, like Lou says. I mean, I'm not saying that me and Louise and Jodie would be ripped and we wouldn't be Zoe Oldcroft or anything like that. But if we didn't have to work, we
5: could go to the gym, we could drink more wine, we could do all of these (laughs) things and... I think... I, I'd drink no wine. I'd be on the protein shakes and I'd be down the gym and i tell you that right you now.
2: Kidding? Who are you kidding? Louis? Yeah, <laughs> like,
5: no it So, <laughs> if I could have had the chance, I would have given it everything.
0: Yeah, I'm not saying that I could have played for England, but I do kick myself. So, me and Jordan were in the England trials when we were younger and it came down to a lot of the time, time, location and money. And it was, my family are not poor by any stretch of the imagination, but... There was people in my team who now play for England, who had the money, who had the connections, who had the parents with really well-paid jobs that could take them to London for all these camps, etc. And a lot of it is just who you know. Well, at the time it was, who you know. Have you got any one that plays rugby at high level? Have you got the money to pay for a private coach to go to the gym every day? And, and all those things. And that helps massively to get into the pathway. And then once you're in the pathway, as long as you work hard, you can get there. And like I say, one of the people that we played with for four years now plays for England and she's phenomenal. But she had those opportunities the same as us. But it does sometimes, sadly, co- well, it did then come down to money, opportunity, and connections.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a lot better nowadays with things like the university system. So, you know, obviously, Harpery are linked to a college, aren't they? They can offer scholarships. To players from deprived backgrounds and so on that gives people a chance where otherwise they didn't have but I mean how much of it is down to really wanting it ultimately what I found with cricket was that I was good enough to play county I wasn't quite good enough to play west of England and to get good enough was going to require sacrifices and I guess effort that I wasn't prepared to give
0: it's a lot of effort isn't it like the amount of hours and It's hard and it can be really lonely. I remember when we were doing the North West England from being 15 to 18, all my mates were going out drinking every weekend. They were going out partying and and doing all these things. And I had to go home and go to bed at eight o'clock because I'd got to leave for London or for rugby or whatever at 6am in the morning. So I can only imagine the sacrifices athletes in general or rugby players at high level have to make if they do it for their whole career. You know, you're going to be missing parties. You're going to be missing family events. How do you hold down a relationship? How do you spend time with your family? How do you spend time with your friends? Start a career, especially when the women, before they got professional contracts, were having to teach all week work out, train and play rugby at the weekend? It's a massive ask. And I think the sacrifices you have to make probably do separate some people. And I don't genuinely think if I'd have had all that opportunity and money, would I have sacrificed them
5: things? I don't know. I couldn't answer that. It's easy to say now for me, oh yeah, I would have definitely done that. I could have done that. I would have done that. But that's me saying that now. I think perhaps when I was that age, I might not have done As you look back and you think, I would have loved to have done that or I wish I still had the chance to do that sort of thing. I think a lot of it, I suppose, is probably a lot to do with the people who behind you. So maybe parents pushing you and taking you and financially supporting you. And in some times, we all know it, forcing you to get up, to get to the gym, to go to bed early, to eat right. You've got to have some really strong people behind you as well, I think.
2: Definitely. be able to do that again going back to my experience of, of cricket there's no doubt that there is a massive difference in natural ability of the top players compared to the ones that just work hard i think about the players that have been in our team over the years that have gone on to play prem and so on a couple of them have really got that little bit extra whether it's pace whether it's attitude whether it's aggression whether it's just innate hand-eye coordination or something they just have that extra couple of percent of just raw ability that I don't think you can always coach or train somebody in. I certainly found with cricket, you know, I was being in a net next to a guy called Simon Jones, who went on to play for England in the 2005 Ashes. And the difference between him and me was night and day. He was an athlete on a completely different level to me. Had I made it into the squad, there was no way that I was ever going to be at his level. He was just that much better than me. And it doesn't matter how much I trained, that was always going to be the case, you know.
5: I know what you mean. I mean, I've not had to put a huge amount of training into my superpower, which is secret punches. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just something you're born with. You, know?
2: you may wonder what male grooming has to do with the podcast about women's rugby. I must admit when manscapes got in touch with us with a fantastic discount offer for our listeners. I also couldn't really see why. Then when I received a perfect package 4.0 to take a look, all became clear. You may not have balls, but that doesn't mean the men in your life shouldn't benefit from Manscaped's amazing range of products designed and developed specifically to give the most intimate area of a man's body the love it deserves. The Lawnmower 4.0 is a fabulous device combining a luxury quality finish with an extremely effective cutting tool. It makes short work of unwanted hair wherever you may find it. The boffins at Manscaped have clearly worked wonders with the range of devices and accessories. You can groom in total confidence that it's safe, quiet and easy to use. You may even give it a go yourself. To take advantage of the exclusive Grassroots offer, use the code GRASSROOTS when you order. This will give you an amazing 20% off and free shipping. This Christmas, his balls will thank you.
6: Lou, with you saying that you need someone to push you behind good support, with Grace now going into rugby, do you reckon that you'd be the person to make sure she'd achieve something
5: that high level? Yeah, absolutely. She's going to hate me. I know it because we go through these roller coasters, Well, we certainly have done this year, of she's got some really good natural ability in certain areas on the rugby pitch. And it's obvious to me. And anybody really who watches, but some days she just doesn't want to go. And I say, Come on, you're going. You know you love it. And actually some weeks she doesn't love it. And then she's like, well, I hated this. And I'm like, trying to find a positive. It's actually really hard as the person behind someone who could really go far to find the energy and the the constant positivity to push that. But I've tried one of my two older sons and it's not worked.
2: Um, <laughs> third time lucky.
5: <laughs> yeah, third time lucky, please God. <laughs> but I push her as far as I think she can go. And if we get to the point where it's not happening or she's really not loving it, then we will stop and we'll do something else. But um I will go to the lengths that are required, definitely.
2: It's so important as a parent to do that. I think, you know, one of the challenges I had with game of Cricket was my parents well, partly through work, but partly because I just didn't want to, wouldn't accommodate some of the travel. So a lot of the games are in far-flung places and would require long, long journeys and overnight stays and all this sort of stuff. And and I just didn't want to do it, which meant that I missed out on a few games that I perhaps should have played in and all that sort of stuff. As a parent, you absolutely have to take the pain sometimes if they're going to push themselves in sport, because it's very rare that the the trials in, in the park next to your house, is it. it's nearly always a long way away.
5: Yeah, that was a really, really good question, Jodie, actually, yeah.
2: oh i forgot also to thank our mate darren at the cornish pasty box company so the cornish pasty box company are a business that make and distribute authentic cornish goodies particularly pasties cream teas that kind of thing and darren sent us up a box of pasties for the pod and yeah i've had one i haven't managed to get them to lou and to jody yet because they're frozen and every time i see you guys we're out for a reason i'd absolutely recommend anybody that likes that kind of thing to get in touch with them they're absolutely brilliant business i
5: can wait to try one of these pasties. I think you've brought one to various occasions even with ice packs and they're still frozen and they've still not managed to get one. No,
2: I still keep forgetting <laughs> to hand it over. So I'll make sure I, think I get it's it to you next excuse. Week.
5: I think you're just eating them all yourself, Matt.
2: Oh, they are so good. I even bought some more because of that nice. <laughs> well worth it. There's an inevitable conclusion to this thanks so much finish. for listening to this special episode we hope you enjoyed it don't forget to enter our shit kit competition for the chance to win a brilliant Halbro stash package and the one-off grassroots hamper see Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for more details a brilliant finish this was grassroots women's rugby on the roots up